Hi, I'm Matt Pacelli with the Virginia State Golf Association, and welcome to our Golf in the Commonwealth podcast. This week's episode is our final in the stretch of consecutive episodes, and we'll go back to every other week after this. If these stories of black golfers in Virginia have piqued your interest for more stories of African Americans in the game, check out the documentary Callaway Golf did on the Asheville Municipal Golf Course in Asheville, North Carolina. You can search it on YouTube or pop over to our Facebook page. I'll post it there. It's a tremendous story of men who, like you'll hear in the upcoming episode, overcame obstacles and fell in love with the game and established the long-running Skyview tournament, which has seen the likes of Lee Elder, Jim Dent, and Jim Thorpe among its participants. This week's conversation is with longtime VSGA supporter and former VSGA board president Lee Koble and is hosted by my colleague Chris Lang. I'll turn it over to Chris and hope you enjoy his conversation with Lee Koble. Thanks, Matt. Today we're talking to Lee Koble. Here's a little bit about Lee before we start. He's currently the head men's golf coach at Virginia Union University in Richmond. Lee's a past president of the Virginia State Golf Association, a longtime supporter of junior golf in the Richmond area, and a longtime volunteer with the USGA. Welcome, Lee. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, you know, let's start off just, just basically tell us how you developed an interest in golf. I mean, I know that... Uh, you, you grew up in North Carolina in the time of segregation. It was probably not easy for a black kid to get out there and play. Just t- tell me a little bit about kind of your journey into the game. Well, I was introduced to golf at a nine-year-old when I started caddying at Dogwood Golf Course in Mebane, North Carolina. This was a local public, you know, public white-only golf course. And I really got hooked on the game, of course, not knowing the impact the game would have on my life today. So how did I play the game? I come to love uh, with no legal or societal way to play, well, I must thank the love of baseball. First, I got my supply of golf balls from shagging golf balls from the white golfers at the golf course. I would catch the balls with my baseball glove. It became a game to me. There were no such things as a driving range or a picker. I was the range and the picker. Yeah, I got hit a few times. <laughs> <laughs> then some of the golfers gave us old golf clubs, hickory shafts, as in wood clubs. Back at home, we made our own golf holes to practice. We had five golf holes in the fields behind my house. We would play every afternoon after school or after a day of caddying. Then, to play the actual course, my buddies and I would attempt this by playing as far away from the clubhouse as possible and while it was getting dark. It was a cat and mouse game between us kids and the head pro. The head pro would chase us off the golf course and we would show up the next morning to caddy. It wasn't like he didn't know who we were. Yeah, <laughs> He was always threatening to run us down with his great big station wagon. It was a 1955 blue and white Ford station wagon. I will never forget it. It was a small tank. The thing is, I believe he would have run us down if he had to save himself. All I can say is that kids would be kids even when there is danger afoot. Now, I moved to New York my sophomore year in high school. I attended Mount Vernon High School. While I played soccer and ran track, I still had a love for golf. My homeroom teacher was a golf course. I told him I wanted to play on the golf team, and he told me I couldn't. I got mad. So one day on the way to soccer practice, they were out hitting balls in the field, you know, a little driving range out there. Mm-hmm. I said, Dr. Rubel, do you have a seven iron? He said, yes, let me hit it. I get the seven iron, I crunched it two or three times. Then he wanted me to play. I said, no, I got to go to soccer practice. It was many years after high school when I learned the real reason my homeroom teacher, golf coach, would not let me play. 
because many courses they were playing. This is the 60s mm-hmm. in the Westchester County area, like Wackagill Country Club, Westchester, Lake Isles, I would not be able to play. But my love for the game grew even stronger during my IBM career. So it's just not just the South at this point. I mean, it's, it's everywhere across the country yeah. that you just didn't have opportunities. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, so, so just tell me about IBM and, and how, the, how, it, how the love of your game grew through, through that. Well, with IBM, uh, you know, coming out of college, um, a lot of my customers were golfers. So guess what? I worked on my game, became pretty good. And matter of fact, in 1975, I won the IBM Club Championship in, uh, in New York, which is now, it was the IBM Country Club, which is now uh, called the Port Wa- Sands Point Country Club. Okay. And uh, so I got to play with them, riding on corporate jets, going to golf tournaments, and uh, got pretty good at it. So that's how my love for the game really grew immensely during my IBM career, because I was playing with my customers, which gave me access to a lot of executives that I wouldn't normally have access to anyway. Yeah, and it seems like the game has kind of uh, gotten away from that a little bit, where, where it's a business conduit, and, and uh, mm-hmm. just, just because just the way that business has gone virtual and, and whatnot, so. Um, exactly, cool. well, well, not only that, but during my IBM career, uh, when I retired in 2004, I didn't know what my country club bill was until I retired, because yeah. everything else was expensed. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Probably an eye opener right there. Yeah, right? without a doubt. Um, just fast forward a little bit to, to coming to Richmond. You, you've been really involved with youth golf in the in the city. And how did you get involved with that? And just tell, tell us a little bit about the, yeah. some of those programs. Well, when I relocated to Richmond in 1990, I was I was still extremely interested in how I could get give back to the game that had given me so much related to my business and personal relationships. I was introduced to a young man named Donald Coleman, who was employed by the Richmond City Park and Recreations. Don, Donald invited me to join him as a volunteer with the National Alliance for Youth Programs Hook a Kid on Golf program. The program was available to kids 8 to 15 and was managed by the local park and recs in different cities. And we had one here in Richmond. And through that, we worked with youngsters, with boys and girls, and they advanced from the Hook a Kid on Golf. The Hook a Kid on Golf was really an introduction to the game. Then they advanced to the different stages within the Hook a Golf program called the Challenge Golf League. And uh, we got pretty good, you know, girls and boys. We advanced to the skill level that allowed us to travel to Florida to compete in a national traditional golf uh, tournament. During the flight to Florida, and because the Challenge Golf League was not just golf, it was also about etiquette, knowing the rules, doing things on the course that you wouldn't normally do. For instance, you know, if you drop a piece of paper, would you pick it up? So they were drilled on all those kind of things. So it was an etiquette score and a stroke score. Hmm. So, and even uh, on the plane, they were quizzing one another about the rules. Even the passengers got involved. I and mean, it, it was a flight. It was a flight. And this was one of the most memorable experiences in youth golf, especially because my daughter was on the team and she made a winning putt. So I continued my involvement as a youth and a volunteer with a local first tee program and the VSGA Foundation, the Robbins Junior Program. So again, and I see some of these kids today that I had uh, as a coach that are now playing golf and a lot of them went on to play some collegiate golf. So it was a wonderful, a wonderful time to give back uh, to the program once I got in Richmond. That's got to be incredibly satisfying to oh, see incredible. them grow up and, and have success in that. Exactly. 
Um, well, how'd you get involved with the VSGA? I know you were on the board for, for a long time and, and uh, president in 2013 and 14, is that correct? 13, 14, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like I always tell my, my kids today, golf is a game of relationships. And talk about relationships, I was introduced to the VSGA executive director at that time, who was David Norman. And uh, I shared my story with him and my love for the game of golf and wanted to give back. David facilitated my entry into volunteering for the VSGA. I've served on the committee at large to get more African-Americans involved in volunteering for the VSGA. After working with the VSGA for a few years, David asked if I would be interested in serving on the VSGA board of directors. I was ecstatic and said, absolutely. I came on the board by completing the term for Dr. Carl Flipowitz, who was retiring from the board. I knew Dr. Flipowitz and was absolutely honored to complete his term. At the end of his term, I was elected to serve two four-year terms. I was secretary and then vice president. I was elected to serve as a 34th president of the Virginia State Golf Association. And I must say, that was quite an experience. It is something that I will never ever forget. And, work, and I worked with some of the finest golf administrators, not only in the state of Virginia, but I want to say in the United States. And the VSGA stands out above that. And still to this day, I hold them in much higher regard and esteem. And the staff at the VSGA makes all of the board and the leadership look good. Well, we appreciate to hear that from, from, uh, from the board level. Um, you know, how important was it at the time for the, for the VSGA to have an African-American president and a black face leading the organization? I mean, it's, a, it's a, obviously a huge deal had not happened before for this organization. Without a doubt. Yeah. Well, reflecting, reflectively speaking, you could say it was important as a societal signal and a visual symbol that in the 108-year history of the VSGA, no one who looked like me had ever been president. Do remember that. I met the key criteria for leading the VSGA, and I love the game of golf. In the moment, I felt honored to be elected because it was a recognition of my peers in Virginia, amateur golf community. I also felt challenged because of the high public profile my election did have in some circles. Yet here we are in 2021, and the racially diversity, the racial diversity of the VSGA board is essentially unchanged. The board has moved the needle, some, in gender diversity for sure. Thankfully, I do not think there is a resistance to having racial diversity on the board, and I do know what that looks and feels like. The challenge is having an intentional and relentless force to promote racial diversity at all member levels, especially at the club level, which often serves as a feeder system to the VSGA board. We have work to do. I have work to do. And we have to get it done. And it's simple to, to say that, 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 yeah, we have to do it. I mean, yeah. how, do, how do you do it? How do you uh, uh, find ways to just, to just kind of unearth those people that, that really could be a benefit to the association? Well, well you look at somebody, somebody other than yourself. Okay, for instance, I was on, when the board president on the board, I've always said, guys, if you're looking for folks that look like you, nothing's going to change. You have to step outside of yourself. Find the person. I'm not the only one that can walk into bubble gum and play golf at the same time. Okay, there are other folks out there, but you have to be willing and be, as I said, intentional about who 
you want to attract to serve on the board. And I think there are folks out there, I'm still beating the bushes, looking for folks to serve on the VHGA board. And as a result of that, it's bringing different talent, different perspective, and we continue to grow from that standpoint. Uh, no doubt on that. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Lee Cole. You know, Lee, you worked the U.S. Open quite a bit as the uh, uh, worker on the television side, correct? Yeah, I was on the USGA uh, uh, Rules Committee and TV mm -hmm. Export team. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah, just tell us about how that how that came about, and. Uh, Maybe some of your favorite memories of, of being on site at U.S. Opens and, and getting to see that level of golf up close. Well, again, talking about relationships. David introduced me to a young man named Roger Harvey. At the time, Roger was the um, president of the Regional Affairs Committee. And uh, through Regional Affairs, he reached out and he had the Southern section, which Richmond was a part of. So David made the introduction. We went to dinner. They saying, I know. I was invited to serve on the USGA Regional Affairs Committee. And then it was called the Sectional Affairs Committee, but then they changed it to the Regional Affairs Committee. And um, then from that relationship, uh, I was asked to, if I'd be interested in joining the, uh, the TV escort team. And I said, absolutely, yes. So <laughs> anytime you get a chance to serve and volunteer, especially with the USGA, the VSGA, you know, the answer is always yes. And you got to be willing to serve and you got to be there to be there to do it. So, yeah, that was kind of how I got on the USGA uh, rules and uh, TV escort team. So what, what goes on during that uh, as a TV escort? Well, as a TV US escort, Open? well, you, you work, you, you, you get assigned to a camera crew. And then what you do, you are pretty much a personal escort throughout the golf course to get them to the places where they all the wonderful pictures you see back on the uh, TV screen, well, you got some guys to thank for that. And I was like one of those guys that got them where they needed to be to get the shots they needed to get, especially greenside, tee box, and in the fairway. And you escort them around the golf course. And, uh, you know, we were credentialed up. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, uh, the volunteers, the marshals, uh, and 90% and of the cases, they would let us go through where normal fans could not go. So we could always get to the position they need to be in. Now, being inside the ropes is always awesome. Oh, absolutely. To get that close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's, it's, what are some of your favorite memories? What like your favorite U.S. Open maybe that you've been to? I know that you've been to quite a few. And, uh, um, 20 years worth. Mm -hmm. Well, my most memorable one, well, I got to start with, uh, with uh, Pinehurst, 1999. I was greenside when Payne Stewart made the putt to win the U.S. Open and his infamous pose that is still present today. That's at Pinehurst. Uh, Payne's uh, pose. And uh, as a matter of fact, when I retired from IBM, uh, they gave me that picture of Payne Stewart. Oh, cool. So that was uh, one. And Pebble Beach, uh, 2002. And matter of fact, it's my first trip uh, to Pebble Beach. And uh, I got to play Pebble Beach. All I can say is Pebble Beach is a very hard golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play it from the tips? <laughs> no. Well, one thing that we were allowed to do as a uh, you know, TV escorts, if there was no playoff, we could get tee times that Monday and play the course under the same conditions. Oh, wow. So, yes, I played from the tips. Ooh, so that, yeah, definitely very difficult. I played from tips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but then go to 2004, Shinnecock. Shinnecock was a dust bowl. Mm -hmm. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> By the way, we played the course on Monday. I shot a 77. And the par three they were having trouble with, 
myself and my playing partner, we both birdied that hole. It wasn't that difficult. <laughs> Hit a little five around 184 yards, there you go. One putt, knocked it in. And then 2000 foot, 2006 at Wingfoot, <laughs> I was with Phil Mickelson's group when he had his unfortunate mishap on the final hole. We were clearing the gallery when a photographer went to the other side of the gallery to capture Phil's shot. And unknown to me, I was in the picture over Phil's right shoulder. That picture will forever be in the annals of golf. And I will forever be harassed by the members of the rules committee, uh, the TBS court committee, because our motto was to be inconspicuously inconspicuous. You're there, but you're not there. But there I am, full regalia, over Phil's right shoulder as he hits his shot. Mm -hmm. And of course, I got a hold of a photographer later, but that's a, whole, that's a different story. What are you going to do? <laughs> in 2008, Tiger and Rocco at Torrey Ponds. I was in the fairway when Rocco uttered, Tiger would make that putt to send him to a playoff on that Monday. And I was with Tiger and Rocco, media, uh, media doing the playoff on Monday. I was also with Tiger when I heard his knee snap. Yeah. My biggest highlight was when Reggie Jackson and Samuel L. Jackson asked me if they could walk with me inside the ropes during the final playoff hole on that Monday. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> and the guy nudged me. Yeah. And I walk. Yeah, come on, Reggie and Sam. <laughs> Why Let's not? go. Why not? Why not? Let's go. And then back at Pebble Beach, this was my third trip at Pebble Beach in my 20 years as a TV rules escort. I had the opportunity to meet and take a picture of Gary Woodland's parents as he was going up to the final hole. And with that being said, uh, more importantly are the relationships that I now have with so many people all over the country who just love the game of golf. We are forever connected through our USG experiences. That's some awesome memories right there too. And then obviously you won the, the or were given the Ike Granger Award for 25 yes. years of, yes. of service to the yes. USGA, which uh, we've had a few VSGA officials recently get that. So that's always awesome to see. And, and your service, obviously, very appreciated at that level. Years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just pivoting right now to what, what you're doing. Uh, you're the head coach of Virginia Union University's golf program. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, you're not able to play this spring, but you're hoping right. to get back in the fall. Um, Absolutely. What, uh, you know, you've had some success there. You've made regionals a couple times. Mm -hmm. Where where do you see this program going? And, and you know, how proud are you, are, are you of the success that you guys have been able to find. I'm busting at the seams with joy and pride for the, uh, the golf team. But Virginia Union University is one of the nation's oldest historically black college and universities, you know, commonly called the HBCUs. And it has provided a strong and excellent educational and civic path to so many African-American young men and women. The success of our student athletes is something we are proud to proclaim. We owe much of its success to the leadership of Joe D. Taylor the Vice President of Intercollegiate Athletics and Community Wellness, and the entire athletic staff. With that as an historical backdrop, my vision is to continue to build a team that is highly competitive on any playing field in collegiate golf, be it D1, D2, and the student athletes have to get their degrees. That's non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. And becoming head golf coach in 2014 has been one of the best achievements of my golf career, not, out, not with outstanding of the VSGA presidency, 
but then going on to be a golf coach. Our golfers are solid high school and collegiate recruits from the United States and abroad. Matter of fact, I've had uh, a young man from Canada and three from South Africa. And uh, believe me, several who have sought out VUU as well. And uh, during, my five, during my fifth season, we won the CIAA Conference Championship. The last time the v, VUU won the championship was in 1971. Winning the 2019 CIAA Championship was a key step in making that vision happen. To date, 11 golfers have graduated from the program and they maintain a cumulative career GPA of 3.51. That's awesome. Yeah. I have only had one bad experience. I had to cut one golfer from the team because of his unbecoming conduct. I'm somewhat of a disciplinarian. You know, here's what we got to do. Here's how we got to do it. Understand that. But by the way, after he graduated, he came back and made a $1,000 donation to the golf team. Mm. And he said, Coach, thank you for cutting me. You saved me. And sometimes we don't know how we impact lives of these young men and women. But as a coach, this is what you're there for. And a coach takes people to places they couldn't ordinarily go by themselves. And that's kind of what coaching is all about. And in conclusion, thank you, VSGA, for giving me the opportunity to share my story. Now, let's get to work. Well, thank you, Lee. We really appreciate your time here. It was great talking to you today. Well, thank you, Chris, very much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Golf in the Commonwealth, and big thanks to Lee Coble. I hope you'll take a second and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and please rate us and leave a review. Remember to visit your VSGA member club to renew your VSGA membership for 2021, or visit vsga.org and renew online. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the fairway soon.